Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Thanks for checking out this feed of my favorite interviews and best guests over the last seven years. Whether it's your first time or you're already in a deep dive, make sure you head to billsimmonsinterviews.theringer.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Again, that is billsimmonsinterviews.theringer.com. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, Matt Damon's here. We're taking this on a Monday, running it later in the week. So who knows? Who knows what will happen over the next three days in sports and life? Um, let's talk sports first, because last time you came on, we did, we went movies deep, and then late, I felt like we we did the sports at the tail end. We uh, did. Um, Red Sox, Yankees, yeah. how are we feeling? Okay, so, well, first of all, I got to qualify all this. I have never been less connected to the sports world than I am right now. I just got back from Australia and then I went to, to France to uh, debut this movie and then came back. So I've been following, I'm looking at the box scores. And the other thing I kind of hold you mildly responsible for is when, the last time we talked, we had a whole thing. It wasn't clear what was going to happen with Mookie. And, uh, <laughs> and you said, and, the, and I it really stuck with me because you were articulating how I felt. You said, you said something great, which was, um, I've planned to watch this guy. Like I've made plans to watch this guy for like the next 15 years. Like this is a thing that I've, I've been counting on. Like you can't take that away from me. Like we actually have the, the gen, the once in a generation talent. Like we got him. He's ours. You can't possibly take this away from us. And I was so pissed off when, when we lost him. Yeah. That I, I'd obviously never break up with the Red Sox, but like, you know, I, I was, I was happy to be in Marseille making this movie and just be away from it for that seat. Like I was just like, and then the pandemic hit and uh, you know, and, um, and so I'm kind of, I'm out of it. I'm following in the box scores. I know we're great. I know we're doing great. And, and I think, we're, and I, and I think, and I think we're going to win our division. I mean, I know it's very early, so, but, uh, but I'm, but I'm still reeling from the Mookie thing. I got to tell you. I had that, the same that, thing. That I fucking hurt. 
I stopped following them last year. It was the first Red Sox season that basically took off. I knew I was going to come back. Yeah, You did too. I did. All right. Okay. Uh, I don't feel so bad then. Well, it was pandemic season. It was 60 games. They were clearly tanking. And, uh, and it just seemed like it's like we, like both of us are married to the Red Sox for our, that's going to be our one way for our whole life. But this was definitely the, I'm going to move out of the house and get an apartment. And I don't know if I'm coming back or not moment. I I think it, I I think we need some time apart. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just a couple months. (laughs) Just a couple months. Like it was a legit, a legit separation. Yeah. Well, the way you weren't in LA when Mookie was kicking ass for the Dodgers and all the Dodgers fans were like, I can't believe we get these, get this guy. How'd you give him up? And I'm like, I know every single, I mean, I had, when I turned 50 last year, a good, my good friend, Sam Jones was nice enough to record Mookie, you know, sending me a personal message because of course he wears number 50 and it was all about how 50 is such a great number. And I was like, Oh, fuck you, man. I did. It was so, it's just, I just, I'm, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to, it's not going to, we're going to have to forgive the Red Sox and move on. Right. I've got that. That's because, because we'll net, you can't, there's, you have to get past it on your own. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no, you have to find it in your heart to to let it go because it's not, it's just, the violation is just too great. It's like, you have to come to your own peace with it somehow. Well, they had the fourth pick in the minor league draft. They drafted this high school shortstop, Marcelo Mayer from San Diego, who was supposed to go first. And it was super exciting. And you, and my guard was like 10% up. It's like, all right, so we're going to have this guy. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm right. gonna, gonna to get all. He's, I'm going to feel like he's going to be part of my life until I'm in my 70s. And then you guys are just going to trade him when he's 28. Is that how this is going to play out again? <laughs> <laughs> but you know these guys. You know the owners, though. Like, they, like, would it ever be a situation where you would text or email John Henry and be like, "What the no, fuck? No, what no, are you doing?" Man. No. Well, but listen. I mean, look. I mean, remember, remember in '04. I mean, you know that that you know that Nomar move seemed to be so insane. Like, you know, yeah. and and yet we all like there was this deference to Theo, and we all just went, "Oh, hang on a minute. Hang yeah. on a minute." Like. Let the kid do what he's got to do. You know right. what I mean? And obviously that, that, I mean, you can't argue with the results they've had. It's just that Mookie himself was just so insanely likable. He just seemed like the guy, you know what I mean? I, it was like, he's the guy and we got the guy. You know what I mean? I loved every, I, loved, I still love everything about the guy's game. Well, of then he, of course he went and won a world series. That's what, that's what he, that's what he does. Well, and also what he could have meant to the city too. I think the Celtics yeah. are in the same spot with Tatum and Brown right now. And Brown, I don't think they're, I don't think they're trading Brown, but Brown gets just thrown into trade rumors every time Dame Lillard or Ben Simmons, like any, and I'm like, I don't want to trade Jalen Brown. The guy loves the no. city. He's going to do like a lot of good stuff off the court. Plus he's That's really right. good on the court. Why do we have to trade him? Yeah. Why do we even talk about it? I hope those are just rumors. I, mean, I think they like, are. Why would, you, why would you mess with those guys? I mean, they're, they're amazing. Well, what about your guy Brady? Because the last time you were on, I don't, I think he was still a Pat, and now he goes to the Bucks. What was? I know you're filming movies and stuff, but I know you were following. I this watched and watching. every Bucks game last year. So, you, so you jumped on the bandwagon? Uh, it's not even a bandwagon. I love Tom. I love him. He's he's a he's he's a once in a lifetime athlete for all of us who who were lucky enough to be able to follow his entire career. I'm riding it all the way to the end. It's not a bandwagon. I'm all in on that guy. I don't, you know, the Patriots, I, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm following Tommy. Like, I just, I want to see, I'm just so, 
the fact that he did that last year on a torn MCL, I mean, I just stop it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just awesome. It's, it's such a great story. Um, and, uh, I was always a believer, you know, everybody does the, was it Belichick or was it Brady? Belichick's an amazing coach, but I never doubted that it wasn't Brady. You thought that seesaw was tilted more toward Brady yes. than that? Yeah, because he's on the field playing the game. Yeah. I, I was hurt. I was hurt that he left. I felt like he ditched I mean, us I mean, a tiny I, bit. No, I got over it. I got over it by halfway through the season. I, I, I didn't, I mean, he, we, he, they could have kept him. You know, they could have. That's why, he, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I don't begrudge that guy anything. I actually want him to go, I want him to go win another Super Bowl. I think that would be, that's just such an awesome story. Did you think that he was hanging on too long? Was there any part of you that no. was like, oh, this is, you're pushing a little bit, buddy? Do you look at the guy's arm? Like, he's no. got, he, he, he's, he's, he's got, he, he looks like a 30 year old out there. Like there's no part of like, like I never understood that Max Kellerman thing. I mean, I guess Kellerman was kind of doing the actuary tables was kind of how he described it because you know, there really is that fall off a cliff moment for, for athletes at that level. But Brady showed no, he was making every throw. He still is like, and, and, and never with the uh, collection of wide receivers that other quarterbacks had. I mean, 07, they gave him, you know, when right. Welker showed up in Moss, you were like, oh, my God. And, I mean, the dude literally almost went 19-0. and 0. Um, You're starting to scare me. You weren't, like, wearing a Bucks hat, were you? Like, how far did this go? No, 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 no. I don't I felt, think... I felt I like this was, like, full-fledged sports bigamy going on here. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, just, I'm just rooting for him, man. I'm just rooting for him, you know? Do you talk to him? You have a relationship with him? Occasionally, you know, like every once in a while, I'll send him a text and stuff. Uh, but um, don't say I said we did a bit for Kimmel a couple of years ago, you know. So, I'll, so, but we're not in the same town a lot. Ben bumped into him uh, last year, before last season, before he before he decided which team he was going to. Um, but uh, but no, we see him. We'll see him sporadically. He know? seems relentlessly positive, like a relentlessly positive he, he, person he, to have in your life. He's he's just the nicest guy. Like he's as nice as he seems uh, in those. I mean, he's just a relentlessly positive guy. I mean, it just you know. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's when 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 you've created this like virtual this this virtuous cycle of like goodness. Everything goes right in your life, and it's easy to <laughs> right. you know what I mean. And it just keeps going, and you're like, damn. Every time you walk away, you're like, oh, that guy really is that nice. So, well, so I you, do like you. He's the guy you root for. I am worried about, you know, we had, we had a nice run with the Boston teams and that now that's 2020s. Now we're one year in, we haven't won a title. I'm starting to, starting to get oh, itchy. Yeah, it's been like a year and a half. The Sox look good. The Celtics are right there. Patriots is going to be a while. I think if you ask me, that's, that's my, I don't, I don't. Depends uh, if the rookie, if the rookie QB can be good right away. Cause I think the rest of the team's really good. The rookie QB is good. And like, are they going to, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, our defense will show up, but you know, you gotta, you gotta spend some of your resources on people to throw the ball to. True. Well, maybe you should text the rookie QB and tell him you're in his corner. Maybe he needs a confidence boost. Maybe you and Ben should both text him. Hey, listen, we're, we're, I, We'll be all for that guy. I mean, I'm, you know, if he look, if he he's got to go get the job, right? Because it's him and Cam. Aren't they going to? Aren't they going to? They they haven't figured out who's going to be. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to sacrifice Cam for a few weeks and then bring the rookie in. 
once once really? they get to Cam's an easy part great, of the though. schedule. Cam, I, I, I love Cam. I love his game. He's a great dude too. I, I you know I, I definitely pull for that guy. I'd like to see yeah. him complete passes that are more than eight yards. So if he can do that, maybe he keeps the job. Last year he was bouncing yeah, you, passes the all over the place. Brady was there. Didn't they do a stat that, that we had the worst separation of any? I mean, you look wasn't at the, great. Yeah, I mean, you're you're throwing into toaster ovens every time. Like that's really hard to do. You did. You know? I, you know, school ties was on. You were like, I, I don't know what kind of running back you were in that movie. It was more like, were you Not three down good. back in that movie? What were you supposed to be? Were you like a Ladanian Tomlinson or more like a Darren Sproles type? We ran out of the wing tee, you know, <laughs> it was a little different kind of running. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that's 30 years ago now. I realized over 30 years ago, we made that movie. Is that Maybe. true? So you've been yeah. making movies for 30 years though. Yeah. Yeah, I Jesus. turned 20, I turned 21 on school ties. So I'm 50 now. I'll be 51 in October. We did we went through we went back and did a lot of your movies the last time you were on. There was we we did for the rewatchables this week. We did Fight Club cuz oh, um, great. great. So, but there's this whole vortex where it's like you and Ed Norton and who who were the other guys you were you were fighting for movies with at the time. There's one oh, but man. Well, Ben, I mean, and there's one other one because it was like Fight Club, Talented Mr. Ripley. And then there was a third movie and everybody was jockeying and it became like this merry-go-round where it ended up being, you did Talented Mr. Ripley. Ed Norton was going for that. He ended up doing Fight Club. And then the, somebody else who was supposed to go to Fight Club went to another movie. I didn't even, I don't know if Ed was up, Edward was up for Talented Mr. Ripley. He was up for Rainmaker, I remember. And, uh, and. And, uh, and then by the time we did rounders, he was telling me about fight club. He was the first person to tell me. So he was already attached to it. And I remember walking through New York with him and he talked about it for like 45 minutes. And I was like, this is going to be the most amazing movie. <laughs> um, and it was, I mean, you know, David Fincher, like what a, what a director. It's such a fun time for movies that lit that mid to late nineties stretch. You have so many young filmmakers yeah. coming in. You have your whole generation of actors. And yeah, man, that, that was it. Like that's, I, I, I was talking to Ben about that recently. Like, I wonder what our, how we would have felt about movies if we were that age. And, you know, if, if we, if we were coming kind of of age in, in the business as it is now, cause it's just so different. Like it's just completely different. All those movies that we love that were kind of our bread and butter and were the movies we wanted to go see, even if we weren't in them are the ones that don't get made anymore or it's very hard to get them. Made. And so, and so that's, uh, so I wonder if I would have, if, you know, I mean, I feel like I still would have wanted to make movies. I've never really wanted to do anything else, but, um, but it's just a very, very different business. Well, what it, it seems like there would have been a pressure on you to do, I don't know, like your fourth movie ever would have been like some superhero movie where you're trying to get into the quick of like the six superheroes. You're, you're like the fifth guy in the billing and that, that will catapult you to something else. Yeah. Right, right, right. That seems to be, <clears throat> that seems to be the way forward now for, you know, and then I get it. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the, it's steady work. It's like, it's kind of what I had with that, the Bourne series. Um, yeah. You know, I always, I, I was kind of inoculated from business strategizing, right? Because I always knew I had another Bourne movie. So I could kind of do whatever I wanted. Like, I'll take a shot with this movie or that movie. And, you know, I, I'm not going to worry about it. Like if, if, you know, which, which I think is actually the best way to approach this business. Just like see who's directing the movie. 
you know, see if it's a story you want to be a part of telling and then, and then just go do it. And on balance, you're going to have like, you're going to make more good movies than bad and you're going to survive versus like the, the kind of, well, I need to do a, a, you know, a quote unquote big movie now, or this has a big budget or the IP on this movie is really, you know, it's a, it's a great graphic novel or whatever people think. Um, I, I've never found that way of approaching the business to be any more, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm saying people who think they have this business figured out that, you know, the, 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 there's the, there's the great quote of, of William Goldman, because nobody knows anything. Right. And, um, and I really find that to be true. And so if you, if you really want to do this and, and, and survive, it's, it's, it's really about, um, making the movies that you want, that you think are good, not that you think other people are going to go see. Well, you do the one for me, one for them strategy, basically. Not really. I mean, that, that was something we talked about in the '90s. But I, but, but I've never, I've never really done one for them. You know, I, I, every movie I've made, I've, I've wanted to do it, and I've wanted to. You know, some are bigger than others, but, but I didn't, I didn't kind of approach it with, oh, this is a movie that I'm gonna. Wait, how about one for the wallet, and then one for me? Look, I was lucky. Like that's another part of the business that is different, right? That yeah. We get paid a lot more. Um, there was way more money in the movie business. At, yeah, that's know, true. In between 2000 and say 2010, it was a totally different business. Um, and and we lost the DVD, and so that kind of cut the business in half. And um, well, now so it seems that, like it's changing again because now, it, like the if these movies are premiering on the streaming services. And also in the theater, then how do you figure out the back end? They got to, it always seems like there's some new wrinkle. Yeah. I mean, Netflix was, was paying a lot of money up front. I think they were kind of saying, we'll give you, you know, you, you know, we're, I haven't done a movie at Netflix, but, but it looked like that's, they were kind of, they were kind of buying you out. Up yeah. They front. overpay for it. Yeah. Right. Right. Versus. But, you know, back in the day, those are like, you know, the Tom Cruises of the world and Bruce Willis and those deals those guys were making were like, you know, you got you got a huge boatload of cash up front and then you got you got 20 percent of the movie no matter what. So, you know, I mean, it just there's a lot of money. We did a podcast on Terminator 2 on the rewatchables. And one of the things Schwarzenegger got, they just like they literally just gave him a plane. As part of, yeah, he got a jet as part of his salary sure. on top of no, like all the other shit. It doesn't have to be a new one. If you used one, it's fine. Sure. Well, he's reasonable, you know. <laughs> so he got, he had like points, he had the salary, and then he got a jet. And then they just gave him a plane. Yeah. By the way, yeah. great yeah. deal. That movie made like $400 million or something. So that was probably, probably worth it. Yeah. By the way, they were happy to do it. I'm sure. Like, you know, that movie was amazing. And, and you can't make it without him. So you haven't really de- dove into the whole streaming TV universe or like the H the HBO prestige show, anything like that. Have you ever thought about doing that? Yeah. I mean, if the right thing comes along, um, it's really just about what, what they're making and, and, uh, and, you know, is it, I mean, I feel like a lot of the really good stuff is migrating that way. Yeah. So it's probably, you know, it's probably a matter of time till, you know, I do something. I just haven't found something I want to do yet. Like Big Little Lies season four. It's in Nantucket. You've got you've got some sort of <laughs> drinking problem. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yelling at people who think you're better than me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, all right, we'll throw your hat in the ring for that. So you're, you're still doing the thing where you gravitate toward the good filmmakers. And McCarthy's been, 
I think one of the most original guys the last 10 years. So what pulls you into this one? That was still it. Stillwater. I mean, yeah, Stillwater. I'd, I'd been dying to work with him and I read the script. I just thought it was great. It was, it looks like it's going to be one thing and then it's something else entirely. And I really like that. And, uh, and I just believe, you know, it's about a really specific thing, which is a, which is a roughneck from Oklahoma. And, um, you know, even within the context of Oklahoma, like somebody works out in those oil fields and does that is it's a very specific, um, guy. And so it was a great role that, you know, a great role that I got to, um, to play. And then, and you transplant that guy to a place like Marseille, which is a very, very specific city in France. It's not Paris, it's Marseille. It's, it's, it's its own thing. And, um, and, and that guy, like trying to blunder his way around Marseille, I thought was a really interesting, you know, to, to, to help his daughter, I thought was a really interesting movie. I like how he approached it, where he got a French screenwriter to help him yeah. like realize that, all right, I, I can't just Wikipedia different parts of this and patch it together. I should actually get somebody who understands how this whole world works. Yeah, Tom's obviously one of our best screenwriters in America, and then he went to two of the best screenwriters in France, and they partnered and they and they wrote together, and it's it's really that's what kind of makes it uh, special. Um, how, how much weight did you put on? I don't know. I don't know. I just because Kimmel was calling you Fat Damon. I don't. I don't know if you heard any of those oh, those fuck yeah. those bars. He's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, did you see Matt yeah. lately? He's Fat Damon now. Of course he was. Of course he was. <laughs> but uh, but. Yeah, no, those guys all uh, going down there. They all that job is really physically tough. Yeah, uh, you know, you got to lift a lot of heavy shit. They're very strong, strong guys. So you have to be like husky, Matt Damon. Yeah, but they didn't. They don't. Yeah, they don't have six pack abs. I mean, I mean, the guys my age don't. Some yeah. of the young guys, like they, they know all about CrossFit and they're like workout guys. But and 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 they do look like that. But like, but my generation, all you know, they're they're beefy, strong dudes. And, uh, and so I was just trying to get that body type. So I just changed my diet and then I lifted really heavy weights and didn't do any cardio. Cause that's kind of their, there's a lot of heavy stuff that those guys got to lift. And, uh, it's, a, it's an incredibly hard job. Like there's no way I could do it. I was on an oil rig for 15 minutes and I was like, absolutely no way. Yeah. This you, you kind of looked yeah. like a old, like X right tackle. Who played right, like semi-pro? Right. You had like one of those kind of bodies, right? That—that's exactly that's exactly right. So it was more. So I didn't weigh myself as much as just look in the mirror and kind of look at what was looking back at me and try to try to make it feel right. And that whole look, that goatee and the wraparound glasses and the hat and all that stuff is very specific. Like our wardrobe supervisor was talking directly to the to these roughnecks and. So the jeans I wear, they'll have like fire retardant on them. And they, you know, it's like they're very specific. You know, every little detail was kind of came from them. Did you grow uh, the facial hair yourself? No, no, that's a hand laid beard that they, that the, and that's a trick that only the Italians know, believe it or not. It's really? Passed down through uh, as like a trade secret from, from uh, in, in my case, the guy who did mine from his father. Um, and they, it's a very closely guarded secret that the, that, uh, the Italians uh, specialize in. Um, the first time I ever saw it was in 93 on a movie called Geronimo that I was doing with, uh, and Robert Duvall was in it. And, and Duvall had this, uh, this great old makeup artist who's now passed away. His name was Monlio. And Monlio, I watched him hand lay a beard on 
on Bobby Duvall and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, it's like you, you could, you could be, you know, like right up in his grill and not know. I mean, it's, they're really, uh, it's really something to watch him do it. Did this movie break, did you break the record for most career body transformation roles? Cause I feel like this is at least five courage under fire. You were like, what were you like 130 pounds? So like you almost died. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, was bad. I, mean, right? I, I definitely screwed my system up. Like, um, I had to, I was on medication for about a year or a year and a half after that, um, just to try to re-regulate my system. What kind so of my, medication? Like blood pressure well, stuff? I my adrenal, my adrenal glands. I was, uh, I, I, it, 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 I got depressed. I got, I mean, it was all like, a. I, I, I got anxiety. Like basically the way the doctor explained it to me was I, I tricked my system into thinking a bear was chasing me for like four months. Oh, all I was doing was like not eating enough and running because I didn't have a trainer. I couldn't afford one. So I just kind of, I talked to this guy, this guy was a friend of ours at the time who was actually an Austrian bodybuilder who actually sounded a lot like Schwarzenegger when he talked. And this guy gave me his bodybuilding routine that he would do three weeks out from a show. And that's a really, really hardcore routine. But I did it for like, I don't know, 14 or 16 weeks. And, and I didn't see him. I saw him at the end and he was like, you did that for 16? He's like, you can't do that. Like, I didn't think you would do that. And I yeah. was like, well, that's what you told me to do. And it was basically just not taking in enough calories and then just running, you know, 13 miles a day. It was six and a half miles in the morning and six and a half oh at my night. God. I'd wake up and I'd run and then I'd not eat enough. And then at the end of the day, I'd go run. And then I'd go to bed. And, um, and I just did that every day for, I don't know, however many it's days. So you're like a UFC fighter trying to cut weight the day before the fight, but you did it for 13 weeks. Yeah, exactly. It was really stupid in retrospect, but, um. You, lose, you lost weight for the Martian too, right? Not really, because we shot, we shot out of order. So they, they did a, they got, they hired a dancer to come in and body double me for one of those scenes. Cause it was what I asked Ridley about it. I was like, if you want me to do it, we have to build the schedule around this. And he was like, no, no, it's actually in this new draft. It's really one scene. I can get away with it just with a, uh, with a body double. So I didn't have to. What, what was the most weight you've had to gain in a, in a movie? Probably the informant. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But I, I didn't, again, I didn't, I didn't weigh myself. It was, it was more, Stephen didn't want any, how do you describe it? He didn't want any defined lines, right? He wanted right. the guy to, right. You can't quite put your finger on what's, you know, where the edges are of the guy. So I think I was probably about 40 pounds. What, um, what happened with, um, the, the Fritz Peterson, Mike Kekich thing? It's still, it's, it's sitting there. I mean, the script is pretty good actually. Um, but, uh, but no, I haven't, we haven't revisited that one in a while. So you and Ben, it's not, you guys aren't, there's nothing in so the we're works way too old now. I mean, we're no, but you're too old for that, but there's no other, anything you guys can do. Anything we can do together. You mean? Uh, yes. Well, in a movie. We've got the last duel coming out in October. We're both in that one. And we, and we, Oh, that's actually coming out. Yeah, man. It's coming out in October. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. We wrote it with Nicole Holof Center, who's just an amazing writer. So the three of us, it's basically a, it's about the last sanctioned duel in medieval France fought between these two knights, one of whom claimed the other raped his wife. Yeah. And so we thought as a story of, of these different perspectives. So Ben and I wrote the male perspective and, and the two male perspectives and Nicole wrote the female perspective. And we, 
So it's and Ridley Scott directed it. Um, but I'm we're, I, so so we're both in that one. How much time did you spend with him as you were putting that together? Like, did, were ben? you back? Was it like a mid nineties? You guys were back like every day we, doing the yeah, whole thing. What was, again? what was really funny was we had anticipated this kind of grind because when we wrote Goodwill Hunting, it took us. I mean, the way we wrote it, because we didn't really know what we were doing, um, we wrote thousands of pages. We really understood the characters, but yeah. we didn't really understand structure. So we'd put them in different scenes. Well, what if this happened? All right. And we'd write these scenes. And then we had all these scenes and we kind of mashed them together and, and eventually made some kind of structure out of it. This time, like we've, you know, we've both been making movies for 30 years. Like all we've been doing is telling two hour stories and three acts and With like structure. Right. And so we wrote so much faster. Like it had kept us from writing, you know, all these years. Cause we were like, well, we don't have time. It just takes, it's too time consuming. And now we found that we did it really fast. So now we are looking for other stuff to, to write together. Cause we had a blast. I mean, it was really fun. You guys are back. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, we're never, we're never left. <laughs> how many how many times have you found out something about him that he didn't tell you but you found out like through the news like uh, when, like when your best friend is somebody who's super famous what how do you know what's going on with them like well, what they're telling know. you versus what the what the world is saying well, I don't ever believe the news over what he would tell me. You know what I mean? Like that, those kind of things would happen if I was working, say, in, in another country. Right. And a report would come out that said Ben Affleck X, whatever. And I'd go, oh, is that happening? And then I'd just text him and be like, hey, man. <laughs> so and you have to recon on it and see if it's and true. Then, yeah. And then he'd write back, no, that's <laughs> bullshit. Or, oh, yeah, that's true. Or here's what really happened. You know what I mean? But it's never like I read... You know, the number of times I've had to tell my, you know, I mean, I remember this, particularly when we started out, like, an, uh, an, you know, an entertainment story would come out about me and like my mother would write to me and say, like, is it true that you're, you know, right. you broke up with so-and-so or you're dating so-and-so or you're, and I'm like, mom, not, I don't even know that person and don't believe anything that you read. Like, the thing about entertainment reporting is that there aren't really any consequences. Right. You know what I mean? If you get the story wrong, it's just like everyone kind of goes, meh, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? it just disappears. It just goes away. And so you can kind of say anything. And, and oftentimes, you know, people do or they or they Google something. And the last thing that got reported, which it's like my my wife, her 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 husband, she was married before me. And her husband's last name is Barroso. Uh her, her, her ex-husband. Yeah. She's been, that's been her name. Like it says, Matt Damon and Luciana Barroso were together. And she's like, that's not even my name. That's been for 18 years. We've been together yeah. and they haven't got that right. They've also been calling her an interior designer all that time. She's not, she never has been, but there's no, it just got put into the, it's been repeated so many times that that just, when they look it up, they go, okay, here's her name and this is what she does. And they go, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, when we, if we were in politics, that would have been corrected a long time ago because they can't yeah. make mistakes like that. Because like you fuck up enough things and suddenly, you know, it's kicking off and, you know, between Israel and Palestine based on being right. misquoted. You know what I mean? Like there are real world consequences for, for, for misquoting somebody. Um, not in, in, the not in celebrity culture. No, 
No, it, it doesn't matter at well, all. Well, your kids are old enough now to Google you, research you, all that stuff, right? How old's your oldest kid? Well, I mean, you know, when I met Lucy, she had a four-year-old from her first marriage and she turned 23 yesterday. Right. So, that, yeah. So, and, and then 15, 12, and 10. So, yeah, they're more than old enough to kind of look up. Yeah, I have a 16-year-old. They, they definitely get savvy, like yeah. somewhere between 13 and 15. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're actually an adult who is, yeah. is, is and really so, thinking about shit. And in that regard, like they're digital natives. So they yeah. really understand that world better than we do and a lot quicker than we ever did. Well, you've, you've been, you were in Australia for at least a year, right? Well, no, for like the first part of this year. And then you were in France for how long? Because you'll take in, your family, you'll go away for like four to six yeah. months on on stretches. Yeah, yeah, if the timing uh if the timing works out, it's all it's all about if it can work with their schedules. Uh, less so now that you know my my fifteen year olds in high school, so yeah. I won't be taking them uh, away. But uh, but a lot of times, you know, if I can get the job over the summer or something like The Martian, where I told Ridley well in advance that you know, we have this two week rule. And so they boarded the movie so that I would go work for two weeks and then go back to LA and then go work for two weeks. And then go, you know, um, we, we make it work somehow. Um, but, but no, my kids have traveled a lot, which is, which is great. This, in fact, Stillwater was the first movie where we violated our two week rule. And, really? and it's, the, it's the last one. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't do that again. Do any of them want to act? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe, the, maybe my youngest one will be into that. They're, they're very much into, uh, you know, music and, you know, Taylor Swift and songwriting and that, you know what I mean? Like they, Olivia Rodrigo. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and Harry Styles and, you know, it's, uh, I, I, um, but it's cool. Like they sit around writing poetry and then, and then tinkering around on the piano or with the guitar. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, I love it. TikTok's the first thing that has just made me feel old. Cause yeah. it's just like, all right, so you're, you're filming yourself. You're doing this dumb dance in four different locations. You add a song to it and then it might go viral. This is, this is how it goes. It's like, yeah, pretty much this, that's right. what, that's what TikTok is. All right. All right, cool. Uh, no, I don't know what this is. <laughs> we're, we're old. We're old. We, we, we really are. are. We don't get it. I don't, I'm surprised you haven't been sucked into a, a TikTok background appearance with one of your kids yet. No, no. My daughter would be mortified. She's like, that's there's good. nothing I can do that's cool. What um, what the next 10 years of your career look like? You're decade four now making movies, which, as we revealed earlier in the pod. What are you thinking? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. The feeling that I had on this movie and on The Last Duel mm. um is the feeling kind of creatively speaking that I want every time. Like it just, the feeling of, I'm just very much at peace with uh, the, the work that I did. And, and it just feels great. It feels like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and, you know, as you know, you get better at it. Yeah. And, and, and that's a really good feeling to love your job and feel like you're getting better at it. Um, I remember talking to this man. I don't know if I told you this story about, about Mike Lansing years ago when I was, no. I was doing the burn ultimatum and there was a, I did a, you know, a, for, for charity, a, uh, a, a come visit, a set visit thing, right? Like you can come visit the set and, and 
Mike wanted and his wife wanted to go to London. So they bought the the thing and came, Mike came and visited me on the set. And for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, Mike Lansing was kind of a journeyman second baseman, played for the Red Sox. And we were the same age and we were walking around uh, at Pinewood in London. And he had retired recently. And I asked him like the circumstances under which he retired. And he said, well, man, he goes, I was up. And the pitcher threw me a 95 mile an hour fastball. He goes, and my eyes lit up. He goes, because that was my bread and butter. He goes, that's how I made my living. He goes, I never was great hitting the breaking ball. But he goes, he goes, 95 mile an hour fastball is, you know, I'm getting a hold of that thing. Mm. And he goes, and I swung and I was late. And he goes, and I looked down at the catcher and the catcher looked up at me. Boom, I get another 95 mile an hour fastball. He goes, and I'm late again. He ends up striking out on three pitches and he goes, it was like, you know, two weeks, four weeks before he was out of the league. Like they just, everybody was like, it's a jungle. They were like, yeah. he can't hit it anymore. He can't, he's, he, you know, he hits that point, right? You know, he hit that cliff, right? Which is like that. It's like the, the wafer thin margin at that level. And what Mike said to me, which always stuck with me was he goes, I'm, he goes, the irony is that if you took my 36 year old brain and put it in my 21 year old body because I would be in the hall of fame. Right. Because I know so much more about hitting. I understand at such a deeper level about hitting right now. And he goes, and yet I can't, I, I can't play anymore. And I remember thinking like, Oh my God, like I'm 36 years old. I feel like I'm just hitting my stride. Right. You know, I've been doing this as long as he's been playing baseball. Like, this is the time that gets exciting. Like we're getting good at this now. You know yep. what I mean? Like, and, and, and that, then how devastating it would be to just be told, you know, that's it, you know, right when you want to really understand it. Um, so anyway, that, that always stuck with me that, that, uh, um, because we, you know, you grow up, you know, kids go, oh, I wish I want, you know, I want to be an athlete. And you go, well, the downside of it is there's a finish line to that. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, and you're not in control of when that is. And, yeah. Actors uh, have like different finish lines. Cause you have your like young star finish line and then you have sure. your like middle star finish line. And then you kind of gravitate toward semi older roles as you hit your fifties, I think. Yeah. And it's different for men and women and it different, it depends on who you are. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, um, Except you know, for Cruz. Cruz. Cruz will be doing Mission Impossible when he's like 88. He's unbelievable. Yeah. He's unbelievable. He's like Brady. He's like Tom Brady. Yeah, he's the Tom Brady of actors. <laughs> <laughs> I was just watching. I was flying back from Australia and I was just watching uh, one of his Mission Impossibles, you know, where he hangs off the side of a plane. Yeah. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing. What was, the, <laughs> what was the craziest thing you did in a movie? Like athletically? Uh, <clears throat> other than the black and school ties, I mean, crucial black and school ties. You crucial win the big black. game, you know. Brendan Fraser just yeah. threw me in front of him. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but no, I mean, I you know, the one of the Bourne movies, I jumped off a bridge. You know, I was attached to a harness, and I mean, nothing, nothing remotely connected to. Did I ever tell you my story of having dinner with Tom Cruise? No, please him, do. Oh man, this is ten years ago or something, and we were having dinner and. Uh, I was visiting, it was right after Krasinski and I had written Promised Land. Um, and Emily was shooting that movie, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom. 
in London. Excellent move. Doug Lyman movie. Yeah, really good. Great one. Um, and we went over there and, and we all went out to dinner and, uh, I, and it was right after Tom had done the, the, the skit where he, or the, the, the scene where he ran outside the building on that, in that mission impossible. Remember the one where he runs sideways around the tallest building yeah. in the world. So I, I go, let me like, dude, what happened? Like, how did that come to pass? And he goes, well, I mean, I've been dreaming of that stunt for 15 years. And he, and he starts to tell me his story. He goes, so I go to the safety guy and I go, here's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to attach myself, you know, to a cable and I'm going to run, I'm going to run around the outside of the building about 1500 feet up or whatever it was. And he goes, safety guy looks at the gag. He goes, no, no, it's too dangerous. So I get a new safety guy. <laughs> Wait a minute. Stop. Hang on. That's the, that's what like that's how your mind works. Like the safety guy says it's too dangerous. So we get another safety guy. I'm like, that's where I'm like, see, you win. I tap out right there. When the safety guy right. says it's too dangerous, I'm like, well, he probably knows because he's You're a one opinion guy. guy. <laughs> exactly. I only need to hear that once. But he's just built differently, you know? And I mean, he really is at this point, you know, one of the great stuntmen in the world. I mean, right. You know, you get, when you look at the stuff that he's done, it's incredible. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Have you thought about like other A-list actors over the years and how their career progressed? Like even in the old days, like the Newman Redford guys and studied like the choices they made as they got older? Not really. No, I haven't really gone deep in that. I mean, I always just think if you make good movies, you keep going. Yeah. You know? And it's, and that's it. And it doesn't have to be any more complicated. It's just really hard to make good movies. Well, so that, you, that involves attaching yourself to the next generation of filmmakers, which you just did a couple of times. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a collaborative medium, right? So you got to find great people to work with and the more great people you're working with, the better chance you're going to make a good movie. Or, um, or Ridley Scott, who's like 85 and could still crank out movies for some reason. He's another one. I don't understand him either. Is no, it, is I mean, he like eight, isn't he like legitimately 80? He's 83. Yeah. 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 He'll be 84 in November. No. It's and impressive. He's, he's, he's going to make three. He's doing, he did our movie, which is a big budget medieval movie. And then he did Gucci, which is a, which is another big budget movie. And he's and in the fall, he's doing a, this Napoleon movie for, I, I think it's uh, either Netflix or Apple. I can't remember, but it's, but it's, twice the budget of the other two massive movies he already made during a pandemic. No, it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, he's completely like indefatigable. The guy he's, I, you know, I don't get it. All my parents, all my parents are over 70 and most of my relationship with them now is just explaining why whatever technology they have isn't working and how to fix it. 
Like, well, no, no, just reboot the Wi-Fi router. It should work. Or no, no, they they probably changed your Netflix password. Just put put the one in from the last time. That's like ninety percent of my conversations. Yeah, yeah. No, he's and in fact, he's like, and look, I've seen it with Clint too. Like Clint's ninety-one, and he's still working. Clint's ninety-one. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. I worked with him when he was when he was seventy-nine. That was in '09. Yeah. And, uh, and look, it's great for, for somebody who loves this job to see somebody doing it that well at that age, right? I mean, watching Ridley, it's so fun watching him direct. He's, he, you know, again, that's where it's not athletics, right? right. There's not, there doesn't have to be a cliff. Yeah. If you're still, if you're still bringing it, you can still, you can still do the job. Well, you have a couple that you haven't worked with yet, right? Have you, you have not worked with Fincher? No. And you have not worked yeah. with PTA either, right? No, no, no. I would, I would love to work with either of those guys. I'd do the phone book with either of those guys. Because Ben, ben worked with Fincher. Yeah, loves him. Absolutely loves him. Yeah, yeah. Fincher's tough because I went to watch him shoot one day. Fincher's, uh, he's got that Kubrick um, kind of gift and curse, which is he can't unsee what he sees, which is why his movies are so great. Um, yeah, that was a good one. I mean, and then the, what's incredible about David is the performances in his movies are great too. Which sometimes, when somebody is is doing that many takes, uh, the performances can really suffer. And for some reason, they don't. And David's like part of his genius is understanding what great acting is on top of of his kind of visual. Genius. Yeah, Go- Gone Girl, which is a movie that uh, you know, because everybody knows the book. It's always hard when they make the movie out of the book. Yeah. People kind of know what's going to happen, but they could still make it interesting. I always respect that. By the way, I thought I was on the Affleck corner for Oscars last year with the with uh, with the Wilback. Yeah, yeah, he, and was it, he wasn't even in the conversation, and I was like, "All right, well, he's." <laughs> I fa- I sound like a homer. I sound like I'm defending like Jason Tatum for second team all year or something. But I was like, "This is <laughs> one of the best performances I saw all year," and he wasn't even mentioned. I ne- I never understand the Oscar thing, like why some people get momentum and other people don't, but I, I thought he was really good in that movie. I was, I thought he was great. All you, and that's all you can do is just be great in a movie and, you know, do your, you know, do the best job you can and let, cause you never know if you're going to catch that wave. That's all that, that, that's down to a bunch of other stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I think you just keep so you know, I mean, like he's just doing great work. You should see him in the last duel. He's amazing in the last duel. It's a supporting part and he's just so good. Um, it's one of the best things I think he's ever done. And, um, but you never know if, uh, if, if that kind of conversation is going to break your way, you know, I've always thought that they should do those awards like 10 or 20 years later. Like when you remove all of the kind of campaigning and money and marketing dollars out, right. And just go, what's still here? Like, we know, we know what's good. If you, I mean, if we were doing what would this year be? 2001, right? I can't remember what came out in 2001, yeah. but like we could see what got nominated and we could see what else came out that year. And we, you know what I mean? We'd probably have a different list. I thought it, I always used to say five-year Oscars where it's just wait five years. Cause in sports, you know, right away, you do the MVP, you have a sense, sure, you know? Sure. But I think in movies, you really have to get some distance. This is something on the Rewatchables pod we do. We're always like amazed by, like we did Boys in the Hood last month. And it's yeah. like Fishburne didn't get nominated. 
I know. And you go I know. through the you go through the five supporting actors. And you're like, what the fuck? And you're like, what the hell? How, is how that did they even not get nominated? And then right. uh, the movie didn't get nominated either. I mean, they only had five back then, but Singleton did get nominated. But just in we general, well, that's, you, that's the odd thing about that is that it's not that people didn't see that movie. I remember that movie being a phenomenon when it came out. It was. So I don't know why Fish didn't get nominated. That's crazy. Yeah, there's there's some egregious ones in the '89 to '94 range. And then I think because Premier Magazine was start, they, there was different people writing about it. So at least they got a little better, but it was still pretty bad all the way yeah. through, really. Uh, for the most part, there's always like travesties, right? Sure. But, yeah, that, yeah. but stuff like that, when you go back or like Spike doesn't get nominated for um, for Do the Right Thing and things like that. Did you not get nominated yeah. for Do the Right Thing? You're kidding me. Um, so see, that's, yeah, that's just Singleton silly. was the first black director ever nominated. No way. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, there, so there's some really bad ones when you go way back. I, it's yeah. gotten better recently. Yeah, but I think your five year, I would even, I would even double down and say 10 year. I think that would solve a lot of that, of that, you know, it would certainly, it would certainly make the travesty part go away. Well, cause we were doing Fight Club. Brad Pitt did not get nominated in Fight Club. Neither did Fincher. And right. Fight Club got bad reviews when it came out in certain circles. It was very it polarizing. Did. And then... Ten years was. later, people appreciated it, but yeah. like Cider House Rules is all over the map in the Oscars for the 1999 year, and it's like Michael Caine wins. It's multiple well, Cider House Rules, Cider House Rules uh, and Talented Mr. Ripley did not get a Best Picture nomination. Right. Jude Law and was, I think, the only one, right? And Jude you, Law you didn't get one. one. No, no, Jude Law, and I think the screenplay, but um, but yeah, no, it was uh, Cider House Rules was because Ripley was. Miramax and Paramount. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Cider House was Miramax. And Cider House, Cider House got in. I remember that. Well, there was definitely, and I think it was because who was voting, but every year you can see it. There's always like, let's give this one to the old guy. Let's give this one to the old lady. Let's give this one to the old movie. Like that, that movie was always taken care of. So there's always like only 80% of the pot. Now we don't do that. Now it's, I think people are so afraid of backlash if they screw up on the votes or if the wrong things happen. It does seem like we're gravitating toward a better selection, I would say. Hopefully, hopefully. Because the MVP is like that too in NBA where it's like, we're we're just getting better at it versus you go back 30 years ago and people are like, ah, vote for Kevin McHale. You know, because I work for the Patriot Ledger. (laughs) He seems nice to me yesterday. I'm voting for for MVP. Those days seem like they're over. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I wish they took all the campaigning out of it. Like that always struck me as insane. Like why, why does your going to a cocktail party or showing up for a brunch change the way someone's going to vote for your performance? The two have nothing to do with one another. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just always. Yeah. How do you campaign for art? No, exactly. Exactly. It's the, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me that that would, because, you know, because it shouldn't, if, if I'm voting for that, it's not going to be because I met you and you talked to me. And I mean, it shouldn't be because I like you. It should be because I, that work was really, you know, something that I want to like, you know, be a part of giving you an award for because I thought you were awesome. Well, screeners, I think, have changed it a little too, just because I, I think the movie you just made is a really good example. I would have rather have seen that in the theater. It's like big sprawling. There's cool. I'm in different, I'm in Oklahoma. I'm in, Marseille, yeah. like I get to go to all these different places and there's a pace to it. And, 
you know, when you're screening something, I never feel like I have a hundred, I'm like maybe 95% attention, but there's always that 5% when you're trapped in a theater where you're just locked in on the movie the whole time. You totally. Know? Well, going to the theater is more like, you know, church. There's yeah. more like you show up when it starts. Like you're not, you know, and I, I really worry about that in terms of the viewing habits of like my kids and this next generation. Like, yeah. You know, they control the movie. You know what I mean? They've got a remote control. They can stop it and start it. They, they are just kind of acculturated to kind of like, oh, I kind of feel like I'm going to go make some popcorn or I'm going to go to the bathroom right now. I'm going to stop it. Whereas when we grew it was like, that thing is going to play. It's playing at 2.15 and you got to sit there and if you, and it's not going to be over till 4, 4.20. And if you have so, to get up, you got to make six people move. Exactly. Right. So, exactly. Exactly. And, that, and that's a very different relationship to the thing you're watching. It's a much more it's it's a much more respectful uh, relationship. Like you're really giving the art the the, the movie it's due. You're you're really paying attention. Yeah, and that's why I think with like the prestige TV stuff, that's one of the reasons people are gravitating to it, right? Because like these, like I'm watching White Lotus right now, which I like uh, mm -hmm. on HBO. It's like one hour a week. I'm with these people. I'll concentrate. They have ninety four percent of my attention. Then then I get to move on. <laughs> I don't have to like go to a movie theater, sit down. I'm not trapped in the seat because we're used to having all these options now, but I kind of miss the days of being trapped in the seat. And yeah, I, I'm so with fun. you. I think about it with my kids. Like, you know, I want them to concentrate when they watch stuff. And I, I never, I'm always worried about their hundred percent attention. So am I. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I really, I notice it with my kids, like just talking during you know, we were watching like like we love the show Alone. I don't know if you've seen if you've seen Alone on Netflix. Who's in it? Oh, no one. It's survivalists. It's they take oh. real survivalists and they put them in these survival situations. They have like ten contestants and they have to live alone by themselves. It's amazing, man. It's just amazing. They film themselves and it's just you know they have to survive for ninety days. And what's incredible is, I mean, I think they're like 10 seasons into this thing. And like, it's, it's almost impossible to survive 90 days on your own in a hostile environment. Yeah. And these are like seer specialists and like, I mean, every hardcore survivalist goes on there. And uh, anyway, it's a really fun show to watch. Um, but, uh, but like most TV with my kids, like, like my 10 year old will just start talking. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, yeah, quiet, quiet, quiet. Like it's not, it's, and I think that has to do with being in total control of the thing you're watching. Like you can just pause at any time. You can just, you know what I mean? It's kind of there to serve you rather than you being there to serve it, to figure out what it is. So you said, you just gave an interview. You said you wouldn't let your daughter watch Good Will Hunting. No, she doesn't want to. I would totally let her watch it. She, she does. She literally doesn't want, she does. She's like, thinks it's funny. I think. She loves giving me shit and she's like, she's, she won't watch anything she thinks I might be good in. So she, <laughs> she, she, so like, she, she doesn't want you to win her over. Right. It, I don't know what it is. It's like, it's whatever it is. She's in control of it and it's fun and it makes me laugh and she's fine with it. Like, like she calls that movie, the great wall. I did the wall. And I'm like, it's not called the wall. It's called the great wall. And she's like, dad, there's nothing great about that. movie." <laughs> <laughs> so she's like definitely mass old DNA. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, you, you, yeah. She, she wasn't, she wasn't born there, but like she's got <laughs> it transferred. Because my son, my yeah, son yeah. has lived in LA his whole life, but is like just a prototypical asshole. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know how this it's happened. Genetic. Yeah, it's it, genetic. Might, it might be. Um, but 
really funny. And, uh, you know. You, she and, didn't uh, see The Martian, so she won't watch that one either? She, actually, she did see The Martian because her friend saw it. That was, she was like 10 when The Martian came out. So I thought she was way too young. And then when I was at school, like doing the drop-offs and pickups, like the other parents and other kids were coming up and they, and her classmates had seen it. So I was like, okay, well, so I, I thought it was a little too advanced for her, but I sat and watched it with her. I got a DVD and uh, sat and watched it with her. And, uh, you know, there's a part where like I get an antenna in my stomach at the yeah. beginning. And, you know, So the kids wanted to see it. I showed them that. And I was like, dude, that's a, that's a prosthetic stomach. I'd like pause the movie and like, lift up my shirt and go, they built this whole piece over here and, you know, try to walk them through it. So they weren't traumatized seeing their dad, like, right. sewing up. but, uh, but no, so she did see that one. So I think she concedes that occasionally I can make a good movie and she's, she's not interested in seeing any more of them. She's interested. If she hears it's a disaster, she wants to see it. That one, that's a, like a perfectly rewatchable movie. That one, 30 years from now, it'll be the same experience for who's ever watching it. They, I hope so, man. I'm proud of those it. Those outer space movies, like that could easily come out 30 years from now and yeah. hit a lot of the same beats, I feel like. I hope so, man. Assuming, assuming hope. we're all still here. Who knows? It's so hard to make a good movie, man. It's so I always tell, like I say to my 15-year-old, I'm like, you know, we don't get to see the movie before it's made. You know, like we just, it's, you're kind of betting on these ingredients and, you know, like take the Great Wall. I mean, is you know that that director? I would his name's Zhang Yimou. He's like one of the most brilliant directors in the world, and I love the man. And I would work for him again if he call. I hope he calls me again for a job. Yeah, because um, he's great. Um, but for whatever reason, the alchemy did not. It just didn't happen on that one, you know. And it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just the kind of the attendant pieces didn't kind of cohere. And it's like you make a souffle, but it doesn't rise. You know what I mean? You had great ingredients, but just didn't quite happen. Was that, is that your number one? I don't understand why that didn't come together movie, or is there another one? No, 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 no. I, I, uh, well, I don't understand why it didn't come together. I or mean, like, look, like, I don't understand why this didn't hit the way I thought it was going to hit movie. No, I would say that my number one didn't hit like I thought it would. Hit. I mean, downsizing just because it was Alexander. Oh, yeah. Payne. We talked about that the last time. Yeah, yeah, you made a good case for that. But after we talked about that, there's a downsizing hive that I think I think next five years is going to be interesting with that movie. I think that, really? I think it's coming around. Yeah, I do. I don't know. I don't know. I heard a radio guy one day. I was driving, coming home from dropping the kids at school. And as I pulled, pulled in, this guy starts, the, I forget which disc jockey, which. He's like, man, I just saw the worst movie I've seen in a really long time. And he starts to watch it. And I pull the car over. Because when I go into my garage, I lose the signal. And I'm like, ah, shit, I bet he's going to be talking about my movie. <laughs> and I pull the car over. Like, I had, to, I had to see it through. I had to hear it, hear the whole rant. And this dude went on, like, a five-minute rant about how bad this movie that he saw was. And, he, and then he goes, it's, and, you know, and then, of course, it was downsizing. And, uh, and I remember thinking, why would you hate this so much? But some movies are polarizing, like, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Here's a good story for you that Scorsese told me when we were making The Departed. He told me a story about, he made The King of, I brought up The King of Comedy, which is one of my favorites of his. That's an all-time most polarizing movie. Right. And he goes, and, and his, the, the first story that jumped to mind for him was he was, it was New Year's Eve. And he goes, I was putting on a tuxedo. I was going out to a New Year's Eve party. It was a black tie party. He goes, and I was trying to tie my bow tie in the mirror. 
and the television was on. And back then it's, you know, three channels, obviously. And whatever channel he's on, the entertainment reporter goes. Uh, and the competition for the worst movie of the year is over. The king of comedy, you know, and just, and Marty said he just tied his bow tie and he sat and he just looked at himself in the mirror and then untied the bow tie, <laughs> took it off, took the jacket off, like just, that was it. He wasn't going anywhere. He went and he just grabbed wow. and went to sleep, you know, and that, and that, and that movie's brilliant. Right. And it's, it's, it's one of his great movies, but you know, it, it sometimes, sometimes, you know, you can get laid low by these things. Well, when he did Departed, it's interesting because we did uh we did a whole podcast on Goodfellas and we were trying to figure out was this that movie that movie's perfect. Yeah. That, that movie. We went two and a half hours and I think it was the most listened rewatchables we've had. Because oh, okay. everybody yeah. loves that movie. Everybody um, loves that movie. I think I think that's his best So we were arguing about because there's this category of Apex Mountain where it's like, is this your apex where you have the most juice, all this stuff? And we were like, yeah. definitely it's, his best movie that he's ever made but i do feel like departed career-wise after departed it felt like it was the first time in his career where he could literally do anything he wanted like he, he like he ascended to some higher juice yeah, power maybe, you know what i mean i don't within the business but i don't know like he's it, it was like revenue every time he was doing i mean he does mean streets and then he does taxi driver i mean my yeah. god right? and then raging bull i mean it's just he's just on such a tear like in that time frame and then it's like what could he possibly do and he does goodfellas and you're like that movie's aged perfectly because the first time i remember the first time i saw it the last 20 minutes which he's intentionally trying to fuck with you right and you leave the theater like i don't know about those last 20 minutes i and but then you see it the fifth time you're like oh i get it it's it's just it's so it's so damn good um but yeah departed i don't know i think maybe 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 like because common perception kind of caught up with his genius by that point. Yeah, right. Exactly. So kind of accepted as, you know, that the, the departed, I'm very proud to have been in that movie, but it's not, it's not, it's not one of Marty's best movies, but there was no way he was going to not win, be anointed the best director by the cat. It was so, it was it was cheapening the award at that point that he didn't have one. Yeah, right? it was like doing more damage to the academy than it was doing to Marty because it's so absurd that that he didn't after what he had given to cinema to American cinema he didn't have this. Oh, that's speaking of Oscar travesties. So he loses for Goodfellas. Yes, Costner wins for Dance with Wolves. Costner, yeah. great guy, but. Yeah. I think in retrospect, we might do that one over. Look, you never, never, you never, but the people who win, it's like, don't punish them for making a good movie. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not their fault that they were also nominated that year that, you know, and, and, and they're not the ones who, it's thousands of people doing this voting. So it's not, it's not, I always, it's always weird to me when people kind of like take out their disappointment on the person who did win. Yeah. Right? You're like, well, that. All that happened was they made a movie and they somebody gave them an award and they showed up and got it. Like, you know, the, your 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 disappointment's a little misplaced. Well, the two travesties that were underrated because everyone remembers the Scorsese thing. De Niro did not get nominated for that movie. Oh wow! See, but again, that's something that like that's the other thing. Like, and neither like did Leota. Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> think about that. Well, and that's why, like, because if you told me that they both did. 
I would I would say today. And I love that movie. And I'm and I work in Hollywood. I would be like, well, of course they did. They both deserve to. Yeah. You know, there's just no question that 30 years later that movie is what it is. It's like it's so. Yeah, that's why it's not worth getting twisted and bent out of shape about the nominations because nobody's going to remember. You know, if somebody backed into a nomination by campaigning really well and like Ray Liotta didn't get nominated, it's not like in 30 years that's going to mean anything. It's it what you know. Yeah, it's going to mean the Academy got it wrong. I think Stillwater is going to be a little polarizing. I was I was into it. I liked it, but I think there's going to be some people that are going to be like, "Fuck this movie." Yeah, I mean, it's not what you think it's going to be, right? I I, I would I hope. You know, I would want them to sell it as a drama because that's what it is. It's a drama. You know, it's got elements of a thriller in it. But yeah. I, I, but those elements are going to make it look more like a Liam Neeson movie. And we fail entirely on the grounds of it being a satisfying action movie because it's not. It's about a guy who doesn't have any of the requisite skills he, he would need to do what he wants to do. He's, he's completely overmatched by the situation. He doesn't yeah. understand what's going on around him. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't understand the culture. And he's just trying to repair this relationship with his daughter that he's done terrible damage to over the years because of his, because of his own problems. And um, so it's very much a drama to me. And I always approached it that way. Like, but yeah, if, if it's sold as like a, an action movie and you know, then, then no, it, it will, it, it will be polarized. It should be polarized because it's not that at all. The little girl in the movie is really good. She's great. And ironically, yeah. the girl who plays your daughter in the movie had a great little girl performance, a little bit of sunshine, and is now yeah. grown up. And it was like totally disorienting. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh my God, she's an adult now. What the hell happened? She's, an adult. she's a real actress. Yeah, you know? she's, she's good too. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the little girl is, had never acted before. And, um, and she's, she's really good. She's amazing. She's one of those kids like... Sometimes you just get lightning in a bottle with a kid. Like yeah. after the first day of work, Tom and I sat down and we're like, okay, like this is this. I mean, we literally said, you'll appreciate the reference. We were like, cause I've been trying to explain it in Europe. It takes a minute. And like the kids, throwing, this kid's throwing a no hitter. <laughs> right. Like after day one, we were like, you know, she basically struck out the side in the first inning and we're like, all right, this isn't a fluke. Like she, she's, she's incredible. So how do we, how do we protect her? How do we, how do we keep it fun, you know, and keep, you know, keep, keep it really playful and fun and light for her so that, so that, so she, so, you know, the last thing you want is for her to realize she's like, you know, pitching a perfect game. Um, and so we, we did, we were able to do that. And, and the, the, the French laws were really helpful because they have these kind of draconian laws around child labor, um, which is a good thing because she, we only had her for a few hours a day. So when, so when she was there, she was eight at the time, eight years old. And, you know, we, everybody was very focused and we made sure to get everything we needed with her and we kept it really fun and, and light. And, uh, and she didn't get, she never got burned out. She had a really good time. So you have, this is out last duels coming October. I wonder if what, I wonder if that's a movie theater movie or a hybrid movie, who knows what the world's going to be like with this stuff in October. And then yeah, it's a big movie theater movie. And then what, so what's next? What's after that? I don't have anything. We're, we're moving to Brooklyn. So I'm going to, it's a big move for the family. So I'm going to take the rest of the year off and, and just be there to kind of be around. We just want to be around for, you know, as we make that transition. And then, uh, 
And then next year, I'll just look and, you know, maybe Ben and I will write something or if something comes along, if some of those great directors you mentioned, you know, have something. Big Little Eyes season four in Nantucket. You got that? (laughs) Got that in your hip pocket? Wait. I was thinking Fincher or PTA, but (laughs) (laughs) either. either. Wait, you can't. uh, I'm worried about your family in New York. You just just monitor the New York sports thing because we don't like. We don't like any of the New York sports teams, so just be, like any of just them. be yeah, careful. Well, just yeah. monitor it with the younger kids, especially. I might, I might have to go to a couple Brooklyn games. That's a, that's a really, that's a fun, that's a fun team to watch play. All right, just make sure your kids aren't wearing the hats or anything. No, no, I wouldn't let that happen. Yeah. All right. Good to see you, Matt Damon. Yeah, you too. Uh, pleasure as always. <laughs> 